0: Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, digital content manager, and welcome to In Conversation with the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face to face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned and the insights they have to share about the ever evolving landscape of financial services. Join us at Money Marketing Interactive London on the 17th of October. Just go to the Money Marketing website to secure your seat at our industry-leading event and hear from notable figures in the industry. See you there. Hello and welcome to the Money Marketing Podcast. I'm Kimberly Dondo and in this week's podcast, I'm joined by Phil Bray, who is founder and director of Yardstick Agency and Ian Else, founder and financial planner at For Financial Planning. Um, So thank you both for joining me today.
1: A pleasure. Okay. Thank you for having us.
0: Great. So, I just thought we could start off by getting more of a background into both of you. So, Phil, if you want to start us off by telling us a bit more about yourself.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, donkeys years ago, I used to be a financial advisor. Ah. Um, so I started 1995 um, and advised until about 2010, mm-hmm. um, and then I um, was head of marketing for a financial advice business that's now run by my wife. Uh, became head of marketing at Sense Network and left them uh, 2016 to, in early
2: 2017, set up the Artistic Agency.
0: Oh, great. Um, And what about you, Ian?
2: So, I was a late entrant to financial services. So, uh, I sailed professionally for a number of years. I gave up sailing in 2007. Mm -hmm. Uh, My uh, wife was working for Standard Life as a broker consultant, and she said, why don't you get into financial services? Uh, I got into uh, financial services working from Sandlam. Um, as a kind of a broker consultant for them. Um, And then in 2012, I switched poacher, become a gamekeeper and became an IFA. Um, And then just before lockdown, so 2020, January 2020, uh, started my own business.
0: Okay, fantastic. So I think both of you are just, you have quite an interesting path into financial services, although everyone I speak to seems to have an interesting, it's never just, you know, I went to school, I decided I wanted to do this, and now I'm here. Um, It's always a very interesting path. Um, So um, for this particular podcast, we're going to be talking about um, fixed fees. So before we start, I don't know whether Ian or Phil, um, could you give me a quick rundown um, in terms of the various payment structures that are currently out there in the market for advisors.
2: It's probably one for Phil, I would have thought. He's probably got a bottom of understanding of, of what everybody else is doing that I have.
0: Yeah, that's,
1: that's absolutely fine. I think for me, there's there's probably three, and Ian, you should tell me if you think I'm talking rubbish here. Um, but for me, I think there's three points at which advisors and planners potentially or do charge their clients a fee Mm -hmm. for a service being delivered. Mm -hmm. Um, You have the financial planning community or the lifestyle financial planning community um, who would generally charge for the production and preparation of a plan. Mm -hmm. Second stage would be, in my experience, the implementation of that plan. Okay. And the third stage would be the an ongoing service mm-hmm. to ensure the plan is kept on track to achieve the client's short, medium and long term objectives. So for me, I see the charging at th- those three different points.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And some clients, sorry, some advisors, some planners, um, our clients, some advisors, planners will charge a fixed fee. Mm-hmm for each of those stages.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Others will charge a percentage. I don't think I know of any firms that charge a percentage for the production of the plan. So I think that's almost always on a fixed fee. right? And then implementation and ongoing is either on a fixed fee or a percentage of assets. So that's the way I would see it right now.
2: Ian? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I I disagree with anything uh, about that at all.
0: Yeah. And I guess from your perceptions, how have you observed the perception of fixed fees among clients and within the industry as well?
2: I guess I'll jump in on the client thing. I think uh, I've never come across a client yet, either prospect or that's on board, that doesn't prefer a fixed fee and understanding exactly what they're paying on an annual basis mm-hmm. uh, rather than a percentage that, to a certain extent, needs to be worked out or published by the advisor each year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that percentage kind of varies year on year. So, um but I do accept that I'm going to be heavily biased towards uh, fixed fees too. So, but you know, I have I get a lot of clients that come to me from other financial advisors, and they're paying Admiral Law and charges, um, and they come to me specifically uh, because they prefer the idea of knowing exactly what they're going to be paying year on year.
0: Mm. Um, And from your perception, Phil, um, what would you say are the best strategies or tactics that um, financial advisors can employ to effectively communicate their value proposition and also justify their fees to potential clients, you know? Wow,
1: that's... uh, Is that a big question? Sorry. It's a huge (laughs) question. It is a huge question. I think the best way would be to... Uh, invest in a time machine, um, <laughs> travel forward a few years, and let the prospect, the potential client who's sat in front of the planner right now, see that value.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, that's um, true.
1: <laughs> but since Elon Musk hasn't yet invented a time machine, that would we
0: trust Elon to do that though?
1: <laughs> um, so for me, and again, here might have a different perspective. But for me here, the the way to do this, the way to demonstrate value, this, this is there's two ways of doing it. You can tell somebody about the value they're going to get, or you can mm-hmm. show them what value they're going to get. And for me, showing is so much more powerful than telling. Yes. And therefore, for me, advisors, planners should have a portfolio of social proof. Mm-hmm. Social proof being the thoughts and words of others to demonstrate the value that they add. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways of doing that is client videos. So, videos of Ian's clients um, explaining to future clients of Ian the value of working with Ian. I think Mm -hmm. online ratings and reviews have got a part to play as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But video, seeing someone like me if i'm thinking of being a client of ian's I'm, I'm 65 i'm thinking about retiring i've got a box of stuff i'm feeling anxious not particularly confident about the future mm-hmm. um, i don't know whether i can afford to retire seeing one of ian's clients talking on video about how they were like that and yeah x number of months years later do not feel like that anymore That just so is so powerful. So I think mm. me showing beats telling and the best way to show is client videos yeah
0: i think for me personally testimonials do work very well when it comes to looking at what services any business can provide um and yeah i think that would probably be very powerful um so ian i've seen a lot of talk mostly on i have to say twitter um about uh financial advisors finding it difficult um or challenging when they're talking about their fixed fees um so why do you think there is that challenge for advisors to kind of express you know their fixed fees mm-hmm.
2: So, I'm going to give two opinions here. And one of them is going to be uh, slightly controversial. Uh, but um, fortunately for me, I don't need to uh, necessarily have IFAs as my best friends. But <laughs> the first opinion is, um, is it's been a transition for financial advisors. And I'm obviously talking before my time. But you know, back in 2005, 2006, um, an awful lot of people thought financial advice was free. There were bonds that you were selling with enhanced allocation, so you would get more money that goes into your uh, investment than you actually give them. The advisors would still be able to take take a chunk of money. Um, So you've got advisors that have evolved from initially many years ago almost pretending what they were doing was free. All the uh, value came from the providers. They were never having to pay directly for it. Um, So, then we had the kind of uh, change with uh, RDR and it had to change then and it became uh, a situation where they were having to explicitly charge um, the clients for it. There was no more enhanced commission or anything like that. So, that was one big leap for them from almost, you know, inferring financial advice was free to being very explicit about it. Um, But still, talking about percentages to most people uh, you know if you talk to neil beige uh, he will tell you that the vast majority of the population are particularly numerous, so they can't translate p- uh, percentages quickly into uh, actual monetary values so they've gone mm. from that to talking about percentages to talking about 3% and 1% and things like that um, and now they've got the other task of then turning those percentages in to physical numbers. And it's right. more difficult if you're not used to it. Um, and I've never found it difficult, but then I've never lived in a world of really telling people that they either weren't paying very much for financial advice or it was a percentage. Mm-hmm. The slightly more controversial opinion that uh, Phil kind of knows, I think, um, is that um, when Phil spoke about uh, how to charge things and, and how to demonstrate value, I think the most important thing you can do is make sure you do add value because mm-hmm. we we live in a wonderful Twitter bubble of what I consider some very, very good financial planners, and I have no qualms that the people I mix with in that bubble do um, offer value. I still think there's a whole pool of advisors out there that perhaps don't offer uh, fantastic value for money, and if you're not offering fantastic value for money, it becomes much more difficult to articulate uh, it and talk about these fees because clients will say, "What am I getting for that?" Mm-hmm. and unless you are really confident about what you're giving them for that, um, it becomes difficult to articulate it.
0: Yeah. And I can imagine that's something that some of those advisors are probably thinking about a lot more with consumer duty, you know, looming um, yeah. by the end of this month. Um, so hopefully the those who aren't adding value will be able to better explain it or figure out how to add that value. Yeah. Um So, Phil, how can advisors um, highlight their unique selling points and kind of differentiate themselves from other competitors um, when they're discussing their fees with clients? We talked about testimonials. All the
2: big questions. (laughs) I'll
0: I'll toss it back to you, Ian, um, to see how you you do it yourself as well. But let's start off with Phil.
1: So I think this is my controversial moment now. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe there are any USPs in financial planning. Okay. Um, And that's a view held lightly. Mm -hmm. If someone can show me a USP, then that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But generally speaking, there is always another firm that does something that is broadly similar. Mm. And I would say that the... To go down a rabbit hole for a second, I would say that the search for a USP is actually a bit of a distraction and largely pointless
3: Mm.
1: because there is such an advice gap. There is so much benefit from working with a financial planner.
3: Yeah.
1: And financial planning at its best can be truly life changing. That I don't think you need a USP. Mm -hmm. Having said that, Having said that, I do think firms need to be aware of their differentiators and be able to communicate those differentiators. And one of those differentiators is, of course, charging a fixed fee. Mm. Um, And I think most financial planners charge a fixed fee for the plan. Therefore, that's not that much of a differentiator, although financial planning is a differentiator from product-led advice. Um, the fixed fee for implementation and the fixed fee for ongoing is certainly a big differentiator. I don't know what proportion of ad- planners charge a fixed fee ongoing, but gut feel, it's a relatively small proportion. I think the cohort of and planners that charge a percentage based and the cohort that charge a fixed fee um, are... One significantly larger than the other. And it's probably worth pointing out here that actually, um, I'm pretty agnostic on this. I can see the benefits of both. And I'm certainly not here, sat here as a owner of a marketing agency, telling advisors that they have to do it this way or they have to do it that way. Right. I can see, see the benefits of both. Um, but if you do charge fixed fees as a marketer and someone who wants to promote a good planner's business, then that is absolutely a differentiator that you are going to latch onto and really use to talk to potential clients about the benefits
2: of working with that planner.
0: Yeah. And Ian, what are your thoughts on that
2: as well? Well, Firstly, I completely agree with Phil about uh, USPs. I want to use that. Uh, Analogy, and the Mm -hmm. words I use that kind of alludes to that is what separates me from the crowd, uh, Mm -hmm. because I agree with Phil completely uh, that you know I know advisors that are doing everything that I'm doing, and I think it's incredibly difficult. And you know, the word unique means it's just you doing it. I think it's incredibly difficult to have a unique selling point. So it's just about what makes you uh, makes you good and makes you uh, valuable. Um, You know, for me, uh, I find the fixed fees. Uh, are an easier, or an easy sell. I never, I I'd say, and I've said this to Phil lots of times. The one thing that I never ever get is pushback on fees because my fees are on my website, and I think probably at least you know ninety nine percent of people will have looked on my website either before they've contacted me or after they've contacted me. They're all published on the website, so every single prospective client I have coming to sit in front of me has some understanding of what the lower and upper limits uh, are gonna be of what they're going to pay for the plan the implementation and then ongoing so when i come to the end of that meeting and say look this is what i think we need to do for you and these are the costs that are involved in that never once have i had somebody you know pull a breath or, or you know suck their cheeks in uh, by being surprised so i i love it and i love being transparent on the website because it is a filtering uh, a filtering process But again, I appreciate, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I like fixed fees. Uh, I think everybody should be doing fixed fees. But as long as you're offering value for money, I don't really care what you do.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in an industry that is um, where transparency is becoming more and more important, uh, what would you say are some of the best practices financial advisors can utilize to clearly and transparently communicate their fee structure? To clients,
2: do
1: you want to start this one in?
2: Yeah, yeah, okay. I think um, I think it's really, really tricky because mm. I know uh, a lot of very good fixed fee advisors that charge a lot more than me, but they are dealing with clients with a lot more money and a lot more sophisticated and complex needs. Mm. And I think there is a danger of if they are completely transparent as I am for some of their minimum fees, some people might look and be put off by those who could really benefit from financial advice because they haven't had the chance to discuss the value of it. And it might just put them off seeking financial advice uh, at all. But I think provided, you know, provided you are very clear. So you meet with somebody, provided at the end of that meeting, you are very clear about what you can offer how that can add value and how much it's going to cost the client you know i'm very happy with that i'm not uh, militant about publishing on websites it works for me um but i realize some people you know if they see fixed fees at sort of 6 to 12000 pounds they might think that's ridiculous i'm not paying that where mm-hmm. they could uh, they could uh, sort of get double treble quadruple their money back by working with a financial advisor.
0: yeah and Phil, what is your perspective? I think
1: I have a slightly different perspective to what Ian said earlier. So, Ian, you set up a brilliant business. I don't know how long ago was now? Maybe three years ago. Um, putting yourself out there as a fixed fee financial planner.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, a couple of differentiators there: financial planning and a fixed fee. And um, I know of other planners who have followed in your wake yeah they are they're following the likes of you who have trodden that path and they are struggling with the explanation the justification maybe that's not quite the right word but the explanation of fixed fees to their clients and are getting pushback from clients i think it's partly because clients are seeing that pound, shillings, and pence, Mm. the exact amount they will pay as opposed to a percentage, and that goes back to what you said, Ian, um, earlier, and I think what you said about that, Neil. Um, But I do sit here, some fixed-fee financial planners, early on in their journey, thinking, is this worth it? Should I go back to what I knew and could explain, and clients are accepting. Mm -hmm. Or should I continue down this road, hacking as I go, trying to deal with the barriers that are put in front of me? Um, So it's those sorts of people that I think look up to the likes of you, Ian. Yeah.
0: Um, So Ian, As Will said earlier, um, having set up your business, you know, three years ago, um, have you encountered any regulatory or compliance hurdles uh, related to implementing the fixed fees? Is it more trying, less trying?
2: I think as far as consumer duty uh, goes, which is obviously the big thing at the moment, Mm You know, if I was ever going to wish some extra regulation on financial advisors, um, consumer duty has fallen straight into somebody like, you know, my fee structures lap. Um, Mm -hmm. I've already charged on basically the complexity of the advice. So there's three tiers now. You're either low, medium or high. Uh, Complexity. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, that's exactly what consumer duty is looking for. Um, You know, none of my clients are paying, you know, significant ongoing fees that they might Mm -hmm. be with with other people. So um, it isn't hard for me to show the value um, for those people. Um, I turn a lot of clients away. I'm very happy to send them to Vanguard or something like that. Um, or do some transactional work and not take them on as an ongoing client. So for me um whilst I wouldn't say consumer duty or maybe it has been welcome we'll see what happens to it but for me consumer duty has not been a headache one bit because you know as I developed the business with Phil's help and the uh, the rest of the team at um at Yardstick you know we worked very hard on showing what it is i offer what you'll get for it what puts you in a different fee category from, you know, Joe Blogs down the road. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been quite, uh, you know, quite simple for me to demonstrate that. Um, I can't, you know, I look at what's coming out. And if I was charging, you know, 1% on an accumulation client with one and a half million pounds, and there are plenty of advisors out there that do and will be, I wonder how I would be demonstrating 15,000 pounds a year worth of value uh, from mm-hmm. it.
0: And Phil, on your end, is there are there any considerations um, that have to be taken when you are marketing the your fees as an advisor?
1: Yeah, absolutely. one hundred percent, I think there is. Um, let's just talk about advisor websites mm. um, and fees on that. Um, i I agree with you um i do not believe the regulator should mandate online fee disclosure right. um, i think it should be up to the individual firms to make their own decision for what's right for them and there mm-hmm. are pros and cons i know it's not trendy these days to sit on the fence and give a non uh, non binary answer but <laughs> the um it is absolutely there are pros and cons for online fee disclosure Um, And they need to do what's right for their potential clients, their existing clients, and and their business. But if you are going to disclose your fees online, you need to do it effectively. Mm -hmm. And that's because... Your website, your website's your shop window. As Ian said earlier, 99% of uh, people who uh, approach Ian will look at the website beforehand. And they'll look at the homepage. They might look at the meet the team page or meet Ian. Um, and they're probably going to look at the fees page. Fees page is going to be a really popular page. And that means we've got to show two sides of the same coin, that value coin. We've got mm-hmm. to show what the fees are, and we've got to show what someone gets in return. And mm-hmm. it isn't just talking about the features that they get. You know, a twelve monthly meeting feature, and um, confidence in the future, reassurance, peace of mind. That's the benefit of the meet me- the feature. So we need to talk about features and benefits, and um, we also need to show um, points of differentiation. So again, showing that fixed fee is differentiating from percentage charging. I would also potentially be showing some worked examples, um, maybe some examples and comparing um, what the firm charge with what their peers charge and competitors Mm -hmm. charge to put it into a bit of context. And then, of course, scattering social proof throughout the page so that the potential client looking at it again, can be shown the benefits. Mm. So for me, the the fees page is all important. It's got to explain what's charged and when, the features, the benefits, some worked examples, um, some comparisons, and then some social proof. And a well-designed page, you can get all that in there quite easily.
0: And kind of building off of that, in both of your kind of expertise and knowledge what are some of the specific channels marketing channels or platforms that financial advisors can utilize to showcase their expertise and value is it linkedin twitter like where can they you know get in front of those clients what's
2: working for you in at the moment Well, I think uh, by far and away, and I know full well, uh, Phil's going to agree with me this, um, that your your existing clients are the best place for new clients. uh, Yeah, word of mouth. uh, yeah. World of mouth, by country mile. Uh, As I've said to Phil in the past, though, when you're starting, if you are starting afresh and you're starting with 10 or 12 or 15 clients, uh, you don't have the pool to fish from to get enough referrals. I'm you know, up to a n- up to a number now that really my referrals are enough then to, to meet my aspirations and my goals. But it takes a bit of time to get there, and you know, in the early stages, Phil and I had this conversation. Um, I think it's just important. Um, if you listen to people like just Seth Godin, and um, you just need to, um, I think more than the channels, being authentic is the most important thing you can possibly do on social media. And I, mm. you know, don't don't just talk about what you do for a living be a be a decent human somebody that comes across as honest um, and people will refer you I mean I think probably five or ten percent of my current clients have come from other, Financial advisors, mainly mm-hmm. London financial advisors, a couple in particular who have a client turn up with two or three hundred thousand pounds. Uh, They're ongoing and their fees don't represent value for money, um, but they are very happy to, um, you know, refer. Them to me. And that's a big thing for me. I had uh, a money marketing journalist refer her sister to me, who's a client. You know, things like that mean the absolute world to me because it's my peers that are saying, you know what, we trust you in. Uh, mm. We like what you do. Um, you know, and I think you can help some of these people.
0: That's great. And Phil, what is your, um, as a marketer now, uh, what would you say?
1: I, I would completely agree. The, The first uh, port of call, the first cab off the rank, the first tactic you should be using to generate new inquiries is getting intentional and more strategic Mm -hmm. about the recommendations and introductions you get from your existing clients. Mm -hmm. Uh, Recommendations, introductions, referrals, whatever you want to call them, they're all the same thing, uh, are the best type of new inquiry. They've Mm -hmm. got the highest conversion rate and the lowest cost of acquisition. So why start with any other marketing tactic? Right. Uh, we, we get advisors coming to say, I want to be on the first page of Google. Or I want to improve my SEO. Right. Yeah. Why do you want to do that? Because it's going to create leads that convert to a lower rate. Mm. Why do you want to do that rather than prioritizing referrals, recommendations, introductions? So until you have, until you have uh, maxed, maxed out that potential, then don't look at any other marketing tactics. Mm -hmm. If when you have maxed out that potential, you still have a gap between the number of inquiries you need and the number of inquiries you can get, then start to look at other marketing tactics. Start Always start with trying to get more intentional, more strategic about referrals and recommendations from existing clients.
0: Great. And finally... Um, what would your advice be to any advisors who are transitioning into a fixed fee model? Ian? Yeah.
2: Um, I think it would, to start with, be incredibly clear about your value proposition. I think when you are pitching your fees to somebody, um, I think clients, uh, I think everybody has a sixth sense to somebody being honest and straight with them. And I think if you really believe in your value proposition and that it adds value, it becomes much, much easier uh, to sell. Um, And I know that if somebody comes to me with £300,000, they're looking to go into drawdown, you know, uh, and I uh, want to work with them, I know I can add value and I find it very easy to articulate how I can add value because I believe in that proposition. So my first thing would be, uh, you know charge what you need to charge to make it profitable but also make that amount of money, a level that you really feel that you, once you've done your segment of what your ideal client is and how much money they've got and what stage of life that they've got, which Phil can talk to you more about, you know, Mm -hmm. make sure when they say to you, you know, and you say, um, obviously I don't work for free. Let me talk to you about the costs that are involved, which is what I say at the end of each meeting. And I talk to them throughout the costs, what they get, um, and just make sure you really believe in it. And it becomes so much easier Uh, to to sell um, if you really believe in it and you believe you can add value.
0: Right. And Phil, is there anything you'd like to add to that?
1: Yeah, I think there's two things i add to that. Yeah. The first is keep the faith. Um, I suspect there is, I don't know if Ian would, would, would agree, but I suspect there is a point where most financial planners who are building a business and charging fixed fees, which is kind of a, going against what the majority of their peers are doing,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, feel like giving up and just going back to what they feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing I would say is keep the faith. second thing I would do is talk to your peers. Have two or three peers who can act as your mentors, informal mentors probably. hmm but people who you can pick the phone up to when you are having that crisis of faith mm. in what you're trying to do, and they can just bring you back on and correct your course and just give you the, I don't know, the motivation to carry on and we're in a we're in a very giving profession And mm. um, I know there's the old Twitter spat and the old people falling <laughs> out, um, but we absolutely are in a very giving very sharing profession Mm. And, and i'm quite sure that there are a bunch of fixed fee planners out there who would be very happy to share their knowledge with people who are earlier on on that road yeah there might even be a whatsapp
2: group for that
0: oh wow i think you probably get the gems from the whatsapp group um i'm in some whatsapp not financial advisor whatsapp groups i wish i was i probably get loads of gems but yeah whatsapp is really great um so yeah that's fantastic thank you so much for joining me today guys um i think i personally learned a lot and i hope our audience also picked up a lot as well
1: pleasure thank you kimberly
0: Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition Money Marketing magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.